Today's Bible reading is Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. There was an expression that got used quite a bit in churches a few years ago. People would say that your faith is a private thing. I heard that a lot when I first went to work in the church up on the north coast. The idea is that what you believe, well, that's between you and God, and you just live out your faith in a private way, that you really wouldn't talk about your faith publicly. Now, I'm not sure exactly where the saying or where the idea came from, but it certainly didn't come from the Bible. You probably don't hear the expression as much today, but I think the idea is probably still lurking around in the minds of some people. And you can certainly still see it in churches today. There are plenty of people who would attend church on Sunday, uh, that do their kind of religious bit, tick that box and then head on home. They don't speak too much to people at church when they're there. They don't really know any of the other people that they meet with. They just come to tick off that box. That was the church that I grew up in. Uh, I can remember that there were people who came, didn't really want, they weren't there to talk to anyone else. If the church had been empty that morning and it was just them in there, they would have been perfectly happy with that. They weren't there to get to know other people. They were there to tick a box. Uh, Can I say that's not the expectation that God has of his people. In fact, God has quite the opposite of that expectation. Your faith ought to be a very public thing. 
lived out by sharing your faith with the lives of others. Your faith is not a private thing. And that's what Paul's going to talk about in this closing section of the book of Galatians. Last Sunday, we looked at the idea of the fruit of the Spirit, that God is giving us his Spirit to change us, to transform us, to enable us to live faithful lives in our relationship with him, to be that new creation. And the evidence that the Spirit is at work in our lives will be that fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're not feelings that you have, they're attitudes that you display. But more than that, that's how we're to act towards others, both inside and outside of the church. That's what Paul closes with in this letter. While he might not mention the fruit of the Spirit again, he's showing us practically how this is all going to be at work in our lives. The influence that it will have on the way that we relate to other people, again, both inside and outside of the church. If we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, which is what Paul says, then this is what Paul's talking about in this section. It's interesting, the first practical matter that he starts with right at the beginning of the chapter is restoring someone who's fallen into sin. I think it's quite remarkable that he says that. He, just a few verses earlier, he talks about the fact that our lives are now going to be keeping in step with the Spirit, that we're going to be showing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And the very next topic that he touches on is how to handle it when somebody actually falls into sin. Yes, we may have the Spirit at work in our lives, but it doesn't mean that our lives are going to be sin-free. So how do you deal with someone who's caught in sin? Well, it's there at the beginning of chapter 6, those first two verses. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. Now, let's be clear, when he's talking about someone being caught in sin, he's not suggesting that we have a look around and think about someone who's done the wrong thing and then just all pile on and and criticise them for what they've done. He's talking about someone who has habits or perhaps a lifestyle that's not conducive to following Jesus. So what's Paul's advice? Well, we should deal with those people gently, patiently, Hang on, that's the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Gentleness and patience. We're to seek to restore them. We're to be concerned enough for them that we want to help them to live changed and transformed lives. That's not always what you see in churches, though, is it? I mean, it's often sad how quickly people will desert someone who's made some kind of a mistake or been caught in sin. Often someone who is who has sinned, and especially if it's been a public failure, then Christians can sometimes be very quick to distance themselves from those people, as if they're worried that they might become contaminated by them. But that's not what we're supposed to do. I had a Christian friend who, through a bizarre set of circumstances, got arrested in his workplace because a friend of his had committed a crime. 
Now, during the investigation, they realised that he was completely innocent, that he was in no way connected to the crime that had been committed. But here's the disappointing part. As soon as my friend was arrested, he was totally abandoned by all of his Christian friends. They just assumed that he'd done it, and therefore they didn't want to associate with him anymore. They just assumed that he was guilty, and they did nothing to help him or support him in what was clearly a pretty traumatic time in his life. Now, he'd done nothing wrong, but even if he had been guilty, should that have been the response? To just abandon him? I'm pretty sure Paul's saying that we're to seek to restore those people, that we're to help those people. Keeping in step with the Spirit means that we seek to restore their relationship, even if they have done the wrong thing. Gentleness and patience is what's called for. Not saying it's easy, but it is the response that we ought to be aiming at. And then Paul says this, look at verse number two, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. It's an expression Paul uses a couple of times, that idea of the law of Christ. He never explains exactly what he means by it, but I think it's Christ himself that we are to become like Christ. That's the law that we're to follow now, not the Ten Commandments, not the written law of the Old Testament. It's Jesus himself that we are to follow. Now, what I'm about to say might sound glaringly obvious in light of what that verse says, but in order to carry someone's burden, you actually need to know what that burden is. See, part of being a Christian is letting other people into your life and being willing to be involved in their lives. We're happy to share in people's joys. We'll celebrate the birth of a child or significant event in your life, and that's great, and we should do that. But we need to carry burdens as well. We need to be involved enough with people that we know the problems and the troubles that they're going through that we can help them and support them and encourage them through those difficult times. And in order to do that, we need to know about them. We need to actually be a part of each other's lives. That's what God wants us together for as a church. He hasn't called us all to just fly our own flight, run our own race. He's called us to work together as his family. Again, your faith is not a private thing. It's to be lived out publicly and particularly amongst the group of people that you're sitting with here this morning. And the other side of the coin is that you will allow yourself to be helped, not just look for those who need help, but allow others to help you carry your burden. That can often mean swallowing your pride and carrying the burden can be both in big and small tasks. There was a girl on our beach mission team many years ago and I remember her father had died quite young and uh, so his, her mother had been left behind with four school-aged children. She said the act of kindness that she remembers from the church at that time was that there was a guy who came and mowed their lawn. That was it. Just came unannounced and mowed the front lawn and mowed the back lawn and put his mower back in the car and went home. She said it was the most basic thing, 
but such an encouragement to her family as they're going through this immensely difficult time. Carrying each other's burdens. That's what Christians should be doing for each other. And it's encouraging to see it when it does happen. To see it happening in churches, to see it happening, because it normally happens behind the scenes and it normally happens without a whole lot of fanfare. But it's the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, carrying each other's burdens. I know it happens in our church, but let's make sure that it happens more and more in our church. Here's a couple of things that you need to do in order to make that happen. Make sure that you get to know people in the church so that you can know what their burdens are. Look around and think about who it is that you might be able to help, who it is that may be going through a tough time. But it also means allowing yourself to be helped, to be willing to allow others into your life to be able to help you through those difficult times. Now, Paul makes a pretty bold statement there in verse number 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. It's not just those that are part of our church that we're supposed to help. We're supposed to look around our community and look beyond our community. During the first few centuries, the Christian church had a reputation for actually helping other people. And uh, this is uh, Emperor Julian. Julian became the emperor in 361 AD, uh, the emperor of the whole Roman Empire. He was known as Julian the Apostate because he had rejected Christian beliefs and wanted to actually dedicate his emperorship to reinstating the pagan religions that they had around the Roman Empire. And he wrote a letter to one of the pagan priests who, strangely enough, was in Galatia, the same place that this letter has been written to. And Julian was going to send huge quantities of corn and wine to distribute to the poor. And this is why he said he wanted to do it. I order that one-fifth of this, that is, of the wine and the corn that he sends, be used for the poor who serve as priests in the pagan temples and the remainder to be distributed by us to strangers and beggars. For it is disgraceful that the impious Galileans, that's the Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. The Christians were making the pagans look bad because they were showing kindness to everybody. And can I say, they're still doing it today. Those who profess a faith give on average 50% more than those who don't profess a faith to charitable organisations. The Christians are the ones who are generous in that respect. Generous in not only supporting their own brothers and sisters, but supporting those in the community as well. It's easy to love people who love you. It's easy to show kindness to those who are close to you. But Christians should and do stand out in society because of the kindness that we show, not just to each other, but the kindness that we show to those in need. 
The largest welfare organisations in this country are church-based, Christian-based organisations. We're doing it as a church, seeking to support those in need. Could we be doing it better? I'm sure that we could. Now, it's not a competition, though apparently Emperor Julian thought that it was, but it's interesting to see the next thing that Paul actually talks about to the Galatians. It's always disappointing when you see competitiveness happening in churches. I'm going to guess you may have seen it in church before, but it's possible for Christians to become competitive about who's doing the most, who's working the hardest within the life of the church. There are people who seek to do things to make themselves look more important. There are people who do good things, but they do them because they're seeking the praise of others. Well, Paul's got some helpful advice for people at that level. Uh, Go back to chapter 6, verse number 3. This is where the advice starts. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Not really much I could add to that, is there? If you think you're pretty important, well, guess what? You're probably not. Second piece of advice comes in verse number four. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. It's a very natural tendency that we've got, isn't it? To measure ourselves against other people. To say, well, I know that I'm doing more than them, uh, or I know that I'm giving more than they are. I know that I'm doing better than that person. But Paul says, don't measure yourself that way. Measure yourself against yourself. Ask yourself whether or not you could be doing more. Don't compare yourself to other people. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Don't measure yourself against others. Measure yourself against yourself. And the question you need to be asking is, could I be doing better? Could I be doing more? But there's another good reason for not measuring yourself against others and not to pretend that you're more than you really are. And that's because God knows your heart. God knows what you're like. God knows what you're doing. God knows what your motivation is in the things that you do. Verse number seven. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. You can't fool God. You might be able to fool or impress others, but God won't be mocked. But by far the best reason for not measuring yourself against others and not thinking too highly of yourself is what Paul says down in verse number 14 and 15. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circum nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Even if we do all that we should do, the only thing that we'll have to boast about is what Jesus has done for us. What counts is not what we do. What counts is what God has done for us 
in Jesus. God has made us a new creation. And he's called us not only into a relationship with him, he's called us into a relationship with each other. To share our lives, to share our joys and our highs, to share our burdens and our sadness. To know each other well enough that we care and encourage and support and look after each other. That's the fruit of the Spirit showing itself in our lives. That's how we're to live as God's new creation.